0: Want more control over your life? You need more control over your money. Hi, I'm Jean Chatsky, and that's why I started the Her Money podcast. From understanding your money personality to taking steps to earn more, spend wisely, invest for tomorrow, and protect it all, I can help you get there. So join me, subscribe to Her Money with Jean Chatsky wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome to Emotional Badass, where moxie meets mindful. I'm your host, Nikki Eisenhower, life coach and psychotherapist. And on today's episode, I'm discussing scapegoating and dealing with narcissistic traits. Inner child work meets us in the psychological spots, the places where we are stuck, stunted, and lost. We meet ourselves in inner child work to give ourselves what our parenting situations, what our parental units were unable to give. These are the stuck points that we lean into our healing. And we give this to ourselves no matter the reason that that parent was inadequate or toxic whether those reasons were self-created or luck of the draw, like an illness in the family. We can have empathy, compassion, and understanding for our parents, for their situation, and how they may have done their very best. And we can have empathy, compassion, and understanding for how we were affected. Adulthood is an opportunity where we get to deal with those effects, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Dealing with these effects head-on becomes an act of self-love. This is how we behave in self-respect of ourselves. This is also how we break generational cycles of abuse, neglect, of lack, of low emotional intelligence. What many of us are dealing with is having grown up in heavily critical and heavily negative households and circumstances. Or with heavily critical and negative personalities. And that leaves us with low self-worth and low self-esteem. Basically, if I oversimplify, many of us who are listeners of this show spent way too much time feeling broken, unworthy, confused, incapable, wrong, lost, and basically crazy for having desires and deep thoughts, deep feelings that went wildly unvalidated. I want you to know that no one wants to do inner child work. We get to a place where we say, okay, I give. Finally, I will do this work. We surrender to inner child work after, frankly, feeling embarrassed when our inner child becomes an acting out outer child. Having post-traumatic stress-like symptoms makes this process of handling the inner and outer child extra difficult because those PTSD symptoms are our nervous systems, basically losing the power to self-regulate and feel grounded. This happens just like muscles lose mass and power and strength when someone is bedridden, when those muscles go unused for too long. Same is true of our emotional musculature. A dysfunctional childhood can be considered an experience of emotional atrophy. Healing is building up those emotional support and resiliency muscles to grow into emotional strength and stability. And stability is security. And with security, we have the empowerment to hold space and worth that respects the personhood of who we are. And in repair of ourselves, of our personhood, we respect who we have always been, who we were always intended to be. And this is what healing is. And no wonder me, you, so many of us Resist inner child work. I did for many, many years. Inner child work asks us to become the kind of adult that we needed, that we wanted, that we deserved, that understood us, that could really see us for who we were and what we needed in our tender moments. Our task in healing is to become a version of a person that we didn't have modeled. I had to become someone for my inner child. I had to become someone in my life that I hadn't really seen modeled. This is like learning to speak a language that we haven't ever been exposed to or heard. And sure, I guess it's possible that a language can be learned fully from reading a book, from head knowledge, but wow, is it easier to learn that language if we can hear that language spoken, if we can see that language expressed verbally and in the written word, in written form, if we have someone to practice that new language with and through different experiences, this is how we integrate a new language into our being. This is how we actually become fluid and fluent in a language that we didn't grow up in. And I think on some level, we all kind of know that the people who really master learning a second language, they often go live amongst the people who speak that language. This is part of why I do this show and part of why I have different offerings, to be able to have a client immerse themselves in this healing language in a way that goes beyond the one-on-one 50-minute counseling or therapy session that a clinical therapist typically has with a clinical therapy client. When we are healing, it's as if we are immersing ourselves in the culture and language of healing, of empowerment. And we are actually learning the culture of wellness, of wholeness. So when we're healing, we aren't just healing up an old wound, we're actually changing our culture, our lifestyle, our way of being from negative, from scary, from critical to positive, to enlightened, to nurturing. And as we immerse ourselves in such a culture, we are rehabilitating these emotional muscles that atrophied from underuse or never use those of us who engage in our child work are becoming the safe adult in our own lives and in our own psyches. We are becoming the kind, patient adult. We are becoming the glasses half full adult. We are becoming the good enough versus the perfectionistic never good enough parent. We become bright when our own parenting may have been dim. We even become the embodied parent the present parent instead of the too busy, overwhelmed, or workaholic parent. We become the harm reduction parent that's grounded and anchored instead of the addicted parent. In so many ways we become, and we call this becoming an awakening. We awaken to the new language. We awaken to this new healing culture and lifestyle. We awaken to a higher purpose, health, healing, being the change we want to see in the world and learning what it is to strive for betterment while practicing that we are good enough as we are. The number one way that I see the inner child becoming an outer child that gets emotionally re-traumatized is through wanting approval wanting approval. Sit with that for a moment. When and where in your life have you found yourself wanting approval? And this is a big thing because most of us go through the emotions of this approval seeking without for a long time realizing that what we're seeking is the approval from people that are outside of the self. Longtime listeners, you will recognize that I say this, I teach this all the time. You are your own authority figure. I am my own authority figure. Now, this is its own psychological coping strategy for this life, for not just healing ourselves, but in becoming more resilient so that our muscles of resiliency, of coping, of bouncing back are stronger than ever before. Now, I sought a lot of approval in so many ways in my life. The story that I want to share with you today is about me seeking approval with one of my ex mother in laws. She was a very critical and passive aggressive woman. In hindsight, I can look back and see that she really wasn't offering me any approval unless I succumbed to letting her control me. She wanted to control me, her son, that marriage, my time, my schedule there was no good enough available. And the more that I tried to get an approval for good enough, the less it was available. And I worked harder at it. If I visited, if I stayed for a few hours, it should have been all day. If I stayed overnight, it should have been all weekend. If I brought food for a family event, it wasn't received as a gift. As me sharing, it was seen as a competition. Often people with covertly narcissistic traits create a competition between people that thwarts closeness. Me bringing something like a food dish was a threat to her and would elicit a lot of passive aggressive victim mentality that was thrown my way. By me bringing that food, I threatened her. The narcissistic dynamic looks on the surface like a whole lot of security, like a whole lot of I have everything handled. But beneath that false mask, that facade, sits a deep insecurity. So by me doing something very, very simple, like bringing food to a family event or a party, Instead of it being received and getting a very reasonable, normal amount of approval, like, oh, thanks for bringing a dish, and feeling a sense of contribution and togetherness, I could feel as the empath that I am that she would receive that as a competition between us. She would receive me bringing a dish as if it was a commentary, as if I said to her her food wasn't good enough, and I was taking the spotlight away from her and her role as mother, as matriarch, as woman who had chosen to make her career about homemaking, and me as a woman who had a career outside of the home, I was stepping on her turf by showing up as a woman who also could make food. The not good enough was inside of her. It was how she moved through her life was so much self-judgment of herself, so hard on herself, so critical, never really comfortable or fully in her own skin. And the critical judgment that engulfed her about herself was ever ready to be projected onto me and in between most relationships that I witnessed her attempting to have. The never good enough lens on herself wound up being used to see me through and life through. No wonder it's so hard to feel connected to someone that has some to a lot of narcissistic trait. When someone processes life as never good enough for themselves, we can never be good enough for them either. Nothing is good enough, which sounds like not that big of a deal. So what if something isn't good enough, right? Who cares? We might know that in terms of language, but it winds up being a really big deal. It winds up being a dynamic that gets painted over most of the moments of our lives. When disapproval is mostly, if not all of what is available, a desperation tends to wash over a human being. Approval from this type of person who very much wants others bowing to and acquiescing to their authority tends to only give very, very little approval. It's not no approval. It's giving just a little bitty tiny bit of approval, a little bit of a crumb when you do exactly what they want so that you get just a little bitty taste. In this way, people with these narcissistic traits, they pay off like a slot machine in a casino giving you just enough winnings every now and then to keep you wanting to play. People with narcissistic traits seem to have this figured out on some level, that giving space between those breadcrumbs of approval seems to keep us more engaged in trying to get that big payoff. This is why people get addicted to gambling. And we, as recovering codependents, people pleasers, can sort of get addicted to approval seeking. I certainly did trying to get approval from my past mother-in-law. I could only feel approval in this relationship for fleeting moments. Like if I sat as apt pupil, if I let her be in full authority over me and I in full student or child mode, like if she was teaching me to sew or crochet or cook a family dish. I made a lot of mistakes in this relationship and in many others like it over the course of my life. I gave of myself to her interests and convinced myself that this was what sharing was, that I was letting her share by teaching me about food and art. She was an artist who had been a stay-at-home mom and prided herself in a white glove. Approved home and feeding her food to other people. That was what she saw as her identity I thought there would be a natural time that she would then sort of let me Show her some of my interests and we would build a relationship more mutually Learning from and with each other about our varied interests mother-in-law and daughter-in-law but also two adult women relating to each other. I thought that she would accept reasonably that she kept a white-gloved home, and I didn't because we were different. I had a career outside of the home and just could not give my home as much attention. The reality was that I spent years feeling crazy, shamed if I didn't let her control our time together 100%. And eventually, I wound up silencing myself and just shutting down, which made my chronic pain flare whenever I was in her vicinity. I tried to just shut up and go along in an attempt to get more approval than judgment. When I spoke up and opened my mouth, I felt that I received judgment. And I got to a place where I thought, Okay, I'll just shut up and maybe that'll get me more approval, more kind vibes. I didn't want to draw any difference, any attention to those differences that showed her that I was different or we were different, which seemed to invite a passive-aggressive gameplay. And by passive-aggressive gameplay, I mean like accidentally, not so accidentally, Sticking food that I would bring to family events into the freezer when it was supposed to go into a crock pot to feed everybody. I seemed to threaten her role as cook in the family because I could cook too and I just wanted to share. Narcissistic traits winds up being a dynamic that only really has space for one person. That holiday where she froze my dish, I wound up having a panic attack And running from the house, I ran out of the room feeling that panic attack start to build. And it wasn't because one food dish got accidentally or not so accidentally placed in the freezer. It was because my highly sensitive empathic system had been feeling through a passive aggressive power struggle game for two days straight. And I felt alone in sensing and feeling that game. It was a vibe that no one else that was there seemed to notice, or they were just numb to because they had felt it all the days of their life because it was their family of origin. Like many listeners, in my family of origin and in so many systems, I have become the scapegoat, even when I didn't understand that I was the scapegoat or knew what that was. I became the scapegoat simply because I either wouldn't or at a point, couldn't sweep things under the rug. And I had to name the elephant in the room. Dysfunctional families do not do this. They tend to operate under a subconscious agreement, as if we all got together subconsciously and signed an agreement saying that we will sweep things under the rug. We will eat and live and walk around any elephants in the living room, instead of naming the elephants in the living room and getting those elephants Outdoors. When I try to sweep things under the rug and play nicey nice, like the people pleaser in me, the codependent had been taught to, I thought that this was a good effort to earn some kind of invisible good person award. I'd inevitably wind up bursting out in tears, like I just couldn't walk around that elephant anymore, or the shit that elephant left in the room stinking the place up so much I couldn't breathe. My voice would get shaky, or I'd try to disappear to try to have a panic attack or a good cry in private. My system would become unable to participate in the vibrations, in the vibes of manipulative game. It would make me feel ill. In that family, I played a role. I was the scapegoat. The crazier I looked and the more that they could point to me as the difficult one, the one who came from the effed up family, and so I was the one who didn't know how to be in their family properly. I didn't know how to do healthy family was one of the things that they would tell me. I'd get told that my food getting put in the freezer was just an accident and I was overly sensitive and overreacting and unstable. And since I, in fact, felt ridiculous and unstable for getting overly emotional, And not being able to very well articulate what was going on and what was upsetting me just from pure overwhelm and shutdown, that I would often just succumb to the scapegoat role. And that would enact my critical voice. Yep, I'm just screwed up. I really don't know how to be in a family. I am overreacting. How ridiculous. It's just one dish. What's wrong with me? And I would join the party of beating myself up into that scapegoated role. But the deeper truth was that I wasn't upset because the lamb chili I brought to an event was put in the freezer and nobody was going to be able to eat it for the event. I could be a little bummed out because of a mistake, but what was triggering was the emotional gameplay. And I couldn't figure out the rules of Those games and I didn't want to play games and I didn't know how to not get wrapped up into the gameplay of these types of power struggles that happen moment after moment after moment after moment in dysfunctional families that have low emotional maturity, low emotional intelligence, low personal responsibility, and therefore low empathy for other people. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? then the calm cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long calm cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires all of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast calm cove is brought to you by the team behind sleep cove the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis meditation and stories So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. I didn't understand that part of how these puzzle pieces fit together in relationships is often that the person with low empathy feels good by putting other people down. We know this in the very typical middle school bullying situation. We know that the bully shuts down and shames the other person in an attempt to make them feel lower so that they feel higher. This happens in adults. This happens with our adult relationships. This happens when people maintain a selfishness that makes sense when we are very, very young for the sake of survival. It's why babies just scream. They want their diaper changed. They want to be fed. They have no empathy for how exhausted that mother might be. This is about survival. And we hope that people grow up out of this egocentrism of childhood. But without letting go of that egocentrism, it's all about me. I need to consider Other people and let go and let it be about everybody instead of just about me when people don't properly grow up and out of that This is a big player in this narcissistic dynamic Developing and once it develops it tends to hold on for a lifetime We all want approval We are a tribal species. We are biologically wired to need each other to be connected to each other We hold up mirrors the way that your face reflects when it sees me, if you see me and we say, hi, hello, and we light up for each other, you hold up a mirror that says, hello, I see you. You are a human being, and I appreciate that you are alive and in my world, and I feel a certain sense of warmth. This is part of why we seek approval. We really need approval from people in our lives. It feels amazing to be acknowledged, thanked, seen as worthwhile. It feels amazing to to have a gratitude for our existence reflected in someone else's face to ourselves, to our inner psyche, our inner child. This is part of how we learn our worth when we're younger in other people lighting up for ourselves and for each other. We want to share wit and smiles and hugs and food and customs and stories and have that sharing feel high vibe and welcome Not passive-aggressively dismissed because of someone else's insecurity. Not cut down because someone else needs other people to be cut down so that they feel up or bigger or larger to the smallness that they want other people around them to feel. They don't know how to feel good about themselves in a way that is sort of equal and reciprocal. When we come from chaos, abuse, or neglect, We are starving for reasonable approval. Approval that we are good, that we are right, that we are worthwhile, that we are loved and lovable. Dysfunctional childhoods are an experience of direct disapproval. There tends to be an emptiness felt from the lack of emotionally intelligent involvement from parental units. There tends to be a disapproval and an emptiness from parents that are too checked out or that are neglectful, or parents are so overwhelmed and exhausted or self-absorbed themselves that they don't have enough life force to parent, to give to a child's development. To nurture a child is an often sacrificing act. It takes a lot of maturity to self-sacrifice, to be present for a child's development and needs while that child is egocentric while that child does not have empathy for the role of the parent because of that biologically wired survival. What happens if we get in-laws, neighbors, bosses, friends, supervisors who are stingy with lighting up, who are stingy with approval, who are insecure within themselves and walking the world, needing other people to feel low so that they can feel high what happens if we wind up in relationship with these types? Some people spend a lifetime trying to measure up in others' eyes, others who can't and won't ever give that sweet, sweet approval that our inner child innocently and purely wants. So what do we do when we notice that our inner child is working double time, triple time, desperately trying to get approval from someone who may not be able or willing to give it. My inner child was ever present with this mother-in-law. I had so wanted to melt into a mother figure and this one showed up like a Betty Crocker in a 1950s commercial, making a family look perfect. Part of what we do for ourselves is own our part of the dynamic as we get older, as we can see our part of the dynamic. It's not just our own psychology at play when we interact. We fit with other people in strange ways like puzzle pieces and they fit with us. Our power is in looking at the shape of our own puzzle piece. And the sad truth about this dynamic, this personal and vulnerable story that I'm sharing is that my old mother-in-law, she needed to be the authority figure. Her insecurity driving a quality that made her overly grip her mother-in-charge role. And that really did fit my wounded inner child role. I had been parentified so much, made to be a little adult as a child, that I didn't really have a proper time where I could just look to the authority figure and see approval reflected back from their eyes to my psyche. And so my inner child drove this desire into my adulthood. In this relationship, I so wanted to go full little kid mode in the face of an older woman who wanted to go full mama in charge mode. Do you see how these two dysfunctional dynamics fit together? It's so easy to talk about narcissistic trait or narcissism and sort of have this quality of wagging our finger at the narcissism, bad, bad narcissism, and us feeling victimized by it. But the truth is that we show up with our own puzzle piece clicking right into that dynamic. And our side of the dynamic is just as dysfunctional as the other. We can get approval in really healthy ways. But when the other person has this narcissistic piece and we have this piece that makes us show up as a powerless child, this dysfunctional way puts these two puzzle pieces fitting together. And this creates an awful re-traumatization for the people pleaser, for the codependent. In the story I'm sharing, I had never been good enough for my family of origin, for my own mother. And as, much as I tried, and as much as I tried to please her, I then brought into my marriage trying to please my mother-in-law in a very similar way. And I tried to do that with an inner child's innocence. And the more she disapproved of me when I couldn't or wouldn't be her idea of perfect, the more hurt I became, the more I had to realize on some level that there wasn't any room for me There wasn't any space for the real grown-up person that I was and that I was continuing to become. So what to do for me to heal and change the shape of my puzzle piece so I would stop attracting these types of women that would elicit these worthlessness feelings in me? I had to cultivate a wise woman who could give me approval and permission to be myself, to love myself, to hold myself, to be more unapologetic about how I move through the world, my desires, my likes, my quirks. The last few times I saw this former mother-in-law before I went through my divorce, I knew I had figured out that I had to call in my wife's woman to take care of me, to put up emotional boundaries for me if I was going to be around this woman. I needed a barrier between the part of me that had so long and innocently wanted her approval and the approval of my mother. I needed a boundary between that and the parts of her that were incapable and unwilling to offer approval. My wise woman could step in like a coach that talks to the football team before they go out on that field. My wise woman can step in now and started stepping in back then to say things like, hey, I see you from myself to myself. Nikki, I see you. It is within our value system, our principles, that we bring a dish to this event, whether anybody eats it or not. That is good enough, and I'm proud of you. Whatever you decide to give is enough, and it is awesome. I'm happy with your efforts and your offering to contribute in the way that you decide to contribute. When we embody the wise woman or the wise man, we are becoming the parent that we wanted, that we needed. We become the aware, plugged in parent who's ready to intervene with some wisdom, some guidance, some boundaries, some redirection. And when we get wisdom and guidance and redirection as we move through the sticky, difficult, scary, vulnerable, tender moments of life, we grow, we evolve. We can step in and do this for ourselves when we come from a dysfunctional, neglectful, or abusive family system. We practice this, y'all. You don't just hear me say this one time and just click into this work Just like a parent, parents, a child, not a one and done. Okay, I'm done for the day. Gave a little bit of wisdom. Now you're on your own. We learn to really show up for ourselves. We learn to call in the wise woman or the wise man to give support to ourselves, not just in the super crisis moments, but in lots of moments. I teach that you are your own authority figure because this is what helps us let go of that people-pleasing dynamic. That makes our dysfunctional childhood puzzle piece fit into people that just can't give approval. We become the source of our own approval. And the more that we do that, the more that we align with the vibration of good enough, of self-worth, of self-love, and we are more likely to then get what we're giving to ourselves. And we wind up attracting, we wind up getting more people in our lives who give this kind of approval This kind of, hey, I see you and i like to celebrate with you instead of compete with you. I am secure. Therefore, I am secure in your security. Yay. We get more of this the more that we step into becoming our own authority figure. We get what we give. This is the real secret or the real trick to being a highly sensitive person and breaking out of these chains of people-pleasing that keep us stuck in these dynamics for a lifetime. We do have the power to change the shape of our puzzle piece. And when we do, here's the truth. People with narcissistic traits today, they are repelled by me and I no longer attract them. Why? Because my puzzle piece no longer fits their puzzle piece. When we become our own authority figures through practice, we are no longer susceptible to wearing ourselves out trying to get approval where there isn't much or any available. We no longer have that desire to go sit at that slot machine and gamble and gamble and gamble and gamble, crossing our fingers, hoping, trying to believe in the fact that it might pay off enough to make the playing worth it. When is it ever really worth it to stick our money in those slot machines, you guys? Most people who play know that they're pretty constantly losing. They're going for the experience of playing. Is that really what we're doing with our life force, with our time, with this one precious life? Playing games that rarely, if ever, make us feel like we're winning? We can heal these wounds. There is a desperation to this type of approval seeking that can go away. When you step in to become your own authority figure, your own source of approval. If you have people in your life, like I have my sweet, loving, good match husband. If you have people in your life who are securely attached to themselves with themselves, they likely will model lots of healthy relating and approval. And it'll feel great. If we really want to squeeze the therapeutic value out of it, We learn from them to internalize, to integrate approval. When we first start receiving very simple, easy approval from more securely attached people, it can feel kind of awkward because our receiving muscles may not be very strong. They may be atrophied. We may have to build up into being able to receive what we've always wanted When my kind husband says something about me that like good job in any arena or nice work or wow, I didn't think of it that way. Just validating that I have good thoughts. Approval can be very, very wildly simple, but whenever he does this for me, I know that my work healing from this childhood is to receive what he's giving me and not just tuck it into my heart but to tuck it into my heart from him and then use it to help me practice what I need to do for myself. I can take that cue, that note, that gift of his approval of me from him to me, and I can take it and I can make it an I statement. I can say from my wise woman self to my inner child, hey, sweet girl, we did great. Chris saw that we did really well. Isn't that awesome that he can see that? I want you to know that I see that too. You really did do great. I approve of my effort. This is how we strengthen these self-approving muscles. This is how I can say with great confidence that I no longer chase down the approval or the desire to be seen by people that are fundamentally blind I don't need to be heard by people that are fundamentally deaf. I don't seek validation from people who are more likely to kick me in my wound than to help lift me up out of it. One of my affirmations that has changed my life is my worth is unchanging. My worth is the same on days that I hit home runs. And my worth is the same in the moments of my deepest mistakes and my biggest failures. My worth is unchanging. This is how we grow into becoming our own authority figures and our own source of resilient strength. This episode today is about letting go of this dynamic where you scapegoat yourself to become your own loving, self-supportive, self-approving authority figure. If you want to learn more and immerse yourself with me, beyond the show, beyond if you've worked with me one-on-one, the Boundaries Course starts 10-10, October 10th. It'll be here in a blank. We're talking weeks. You'll learn how to offer yourself the emotional boundaries that you need to stop making you vulnerable to people with low maturity, low empathy, and low insight. Boundaries and self-love are truly like languages. If you feel called to spend six weeks with me to learn the healing language, the customs of boundaries, come join. If you're in the Patreon, you can still get the code that saves you $100 off of the full price, making the six-week course $350, or you can choose a payment plan for three, six, or 12 months, making the course as little as $37.50 a month. Me and my team work out these options every year to try to make this work as available to you as possible. And it's why I choose to teach boundaries in the format of a large online classroom instead of charging thousands to have 10 in a very small group. I know this can come off as a little salesman hooey, but I estimate that the course is worth two full years of good weekly therapy. And I am very proud of what I offer you in that course to break down the complexity of boundaries work, the art form of what it is to be boundaried internally with yourself, to no longer let that inner critic bully you inside of your head, and then to have boundaries externally in all of the ways that we relate to the outside world. We will be dealing with internal and external boundaries For all the days of our life, I promise you that you can become more artistic in how you apply these boundaries with yourself and with others. I'd love to meet you, and if you'd like to learn more about this art form and join the Boundaries course, come find it at emotionalbadass.com backslash boundaries, or come grab that code and finally join the Patreon at patreon.com backslash emotionalbadass. You can get a good taste of what I offer, how I share myself in the boundaries course. If you join our next live stream Q&A, the topic is sociopathy and the family system. Come join that for this Wednesday in the Patreon. Wednesday, September 21st, sociopathy and the family system. Come share your questions now. Light and love. I'm an emotional badass, you're an emotional badass, and together we are where Moxie meets mindful. Light and love and all the healing available in this one precious life. I'll see you right here next time for an exclusive episode. Bye-bye.